it's, it's a wonderful thing that when you know that you're in God's will and where God wants you to be. That's the blessing that we can be in the center of God's will. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, O God, that you are the head of our lives and that you truly are the head of your church, no matter what we may think. That, Lord, you're the one who directs your people and you're the one who leads us into ministry and you're the one, Lord, who orders our steps if we allow you to. And we pray, Father, that this morning as we continue to just look at our own personal lives, that, Lord, that you would guide us and you would minister to us. That, Lord, that we would discover some nuggets, you would cause us to think deeply, and that, Lord, your Holy Spirit might minister to us. May you bless the time that we're in your word, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are in church, part of church, there are some things that you ought to be looking for. You ought to be able to see what is God doing. I just had a moment here, Dr. Sovine. He would knock five points off. You put your hands in your pocket and I pulled them back out real quick. And, and the whole process is that we're in church, but what do you see? Do you see God doing anything? Do you hear from him? Do you hear from him? Is your choice if you come to church and leave like David in thanksgiving that he was able to go into the house of God and receive understanding and that he felt blessed to go into the house of God? Are you hearing from him? And then thirdly, and, you, and you, you've heard me repeat this a couple of Sundays now, because I want you to catch it. That you see, you hear, and lastly, you receive. That you receive from God. You're not receiving from Pastor Brown. You're not receiving from Melvin, really. You're not receiving from anybody but you yourself, that you've come and you've seen God in action, you see him, you hear from him, and you're receiving from him. That when you leave, you sense that you've been blessed. That when you leave, you sense or feel, boy, i got a nugget here in hand that is valuable to me. That it has changed something about me. Church and salvation. Church and the saint. Basically the same thing. Which word do you want to use? Without salvation, you wouldn't have a saint. And the whole issue is, here's the church, here's the saint. Now you've got to ask this question of yourself. Lord, what's my purpose? Lord, why have you saved me? Lord, what is your plan for me? 
Because in Jeremiah 29, correct, God has a plan for all of us. What is that plan? Or do I just try my best? Or do I just do my best? Or I just chug along? Not really having any understanding, any real drive, any real purpose. I just kind of like chug along. And I somehow form in line with the rest of the group and I march to them. You know, in the service, whenever you got out of step, you did that little skip to get back in step. Are you in step with everybody else or are you out of step? Church and the saints, what's your response? Yes, you're saved. But are you only being saved by fire? Yes, you're saved. But are you wood, hay, and stubble? Are you a vessel to dishonor rather than honor? What are you? Oh, you're a saint. And the only reason you're a saint is because you're saved by God. Sainthood doesn't come by some great miracle that you do. Sainthood doesn't come by the works that you perform. How much of it? You're a saint because you've been saved by Jesus. Period. Now, if I take that definition of church, it's called out. That you are called out. Well, if you are called out, you have a question to ask yourself. What are you being called to? If the basic meaning of church is someone who's been called out, you've been called away from something, to something. What is that? What are you being called to? Now, some will just end with this little say, I've been called to walk with Jesus, and I'm just walking. Nothing to do but walk. Don't put your hands to the plow, but you're walking. The plow is left back there, but you're walking. But you need the plow to do something. you got to put your hands to something. And a lot of us are just walking. But we're not doing anything. And the whole thing about being called is being called with a purpose to perform and to do. You're not called to be a spectator. Now, one day you will be a spectator. When you join that great witness in the sky, you'll be a spectator. But as long as you're on earth, you're not a spectator. You're a participant. And you ought to be willing to participate in the body of Christ. The church is the meeting place. It's the learning place. It's the worship place. For all who are saved and all who are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Who desire to grow in a relationship with Christ. And all different with some. The church is not only for the saved. The church are for those who are seeking after Christ. And want to know more. The whole process with people is this. 
they no longer really search out to see who Jesus is for themselves. How many of you buy an insurance policy without reading it? How many of you sign a contract without really going through it? How many of you enter into covenants without even knowing what's expected of you? And, and see, a covenant is similar to a contract. It's something you're going to sign. But it ought to be something that you know something about before you fully step into it. And that's why I put in there those who are seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who want to know more. Now, it may start with somebody witnessing to them. And then their desire is to come. They want to know a little bit more. A little bit more. And the whole process of the church, it ought to be an educational center. It ought to be a place where it teaches the people of God and those who desire to know more about him. Church is a group of people who have been drawn together by God to do his will and to to do the will of Jesus here on earth. That's our desire, to do his will, to do the things he has called us to do, do the things that he desires us to do. Now, here's the area again. In the Bible, it's not going to fulfill all the things that God wants you to do. It would be too big of a list. But Heather's yet experiencing the things that God wants her to do at different portions of her life. So it's a journey along with the Lord. And the process is this here. Are you willing to be obedient and accept what God has for you in the time of your life or certain seasons of your life that you might progress, that you might mature, that you might grow? And the thing is that you're willing to do the will of Jesus here on earth. And when you're willing to do the will of Jesus while here on earth, then you'll do the work of Jesus here on earth. And then you will be his witness. You will be his witness. You're being a witness to other people about what God has done in your life. You're being a witness of how great God is in your life. You're being a witness and you're telling other people what the Lord has done for you in a very special way. And you're making Jesus real. And you bring Jesus alive. And people are able to see the love relationship between you and the one who has saved you. As you bear witness and testimony of what he has done on your behalf. And we are come to that place that we have to really ask, boy, am I doing the will of the Lord? Am I serving him? Am I doing the work that he wants me to do? And understand this, because God has gifted us, he's going to use us differently. 
And we're going to get more into that next week also. To understand this thing called church and the saint, the church and those who are saved. Go to John with me, John chapter 6, 44 through 45. Gotcha, John. Because I want you to hear something that you need to register and understand. People just don't come to Jesus. People don't just come to Jesus. People are drawn to Jesus. And there's one who draws our attention to Jesus. There's one who draws us to a place to understand the need for Jesus. There's that whole concept that uh, the work of the Father, and as we go through this series, we're going to also experience, I hope, the working of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the triune God at work in this thing called salvation. In 644-45, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a powerful statement. No one can come to me, Jesus is saying, unless the Father himself is drawing that person to me. It isn't that man just wake up one day and say, Oh, I think I'll change today. Oh, I think I'll accept the Lord Jesus Christ today. If God is not working in that life, that man will never awaken to that point. It is God who shows us our nakedness. It is God who reveals the truth to us about us being a sinner and what we have need of. It is God working in our lives. Even before we come to a place of salvation. Even before we even recognize our need for Jesus. It's God working in us to draw us to that which we have need of. Now, understand this. A lot of us had knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we didn't want Jesus Christ. And there's a difference between what you need and what you want. And God knew what we needed was Jesus, not what we wanted. So he draws us to that which we have need of. And that's Jesus. Because he understands our lostness far greater than what we understand it. And he draws us to that one in whom he has sent to be the Savior of our lives. And it says simply, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up in the last days. I will raise him up. 
He jumps from the very present to where you have accepted. And in the very last days, he's going to do what? He's going to raise you up. He's going to resurrect you. And you can even put that in the present, that he presently raised you up in a sense of resurrection. Because when you came to him, you were dead. And when you accept him, you become alive. Understand that. Go over to John 5, 26. John 5, 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing now, I want you to underline something. If you don't have it underlined in your Bibles, testify that the Father has sent me. It is not so much that his mouth is saying it. It's not that he's giving testimony of himself. He excludes, in a sense, his own words. And he says, look at what? The work that I do for the work itself gives testimony that the Father has sent me. Not my words. Not my words. Because words can be deceiving. Words are only the words of the person that we take that they're sharing truth with us. I'll never call a person a liar unless it's an outright, right before your face, lie. There's no use for somebody trying to tell me, oh, you're not a black man, or you're not an African American. I know that's not what. I understand you can give me the theory of that, you're in the human race. You're this. You're that. See? But see, why am I going to deny what I am when God created me this way? And I don't need to be ashamed of who or what I am. It just shows the wonderful creation of God with all the different ethnic groups and colors that he has created. It shows his imagination. Show me two faces that really look alike, even with identical twins. God is a creating God. He's a wonderful God. And he says, boy, the things that I do. Now, understand, you've been created for good works. But your works ought to bear testimony to who you are and who you are serving. Your works. Okay? And I understand a lot of people don't have any works. That's why in Corinthians he tells us a lot of them are just what? Burned up. Because <laughs> they're false works. They're not works that really honor him. They're not works that glorify him. And allow us in the church, we labor for self rather than for the glory of the Lord. But he makes that point so clear that, boy, the work he does testifies 
that the Father has sent him. How you live and the things you do, do they testify that you are born again? Do they testify that you're in love with the Lord Jesus? Do they testify that the thing you're doing only is being done by the power of the Holy Spirit? It could not be done in the flesh. And in John 14, 12, Jesus says to his disciples, greater things will you do. Greater things will you do. A lot of people will challenge, have you raised the dead? Have you healed the blind? Have you healed the cripple? How many of you understand that there's a lot of pastors who have spoken to more than 5,000 or 4,000? There are a lot of pastors who have traveled much further than Jesus Christ sharing this gospel. There are those who have, through the church, been able to minister to many more people the widows, the orphans, who've been able to educate more people than what Jesus Christ was able to do. Able to help more people than what Jesus could help. Able to walk alongside someone for a while. Many more than what Jesus did. And he says, greater works will you do. And those works can be done if we desire to do them and be led of the Spirit in doing them. And in Acts 8.1, he talks about we'll be his witness. But the only way in which we're going to really be able to be his witness, and this is something that we have to go back to and examine over and over and over again. You can be a witness of God in the flesh. You can witness all you want in the flesh, and it can become a prideful thing. And even in Christianity sometimes, we put notches on our guns. We're we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Because, see, if we understand the witness, I'm not the one really witnessing. I'm the one being used of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. For in Acts 1.8, he simply says, But you will receive power. You will receive power. Now that power is not of yourself. But that power is something outside of yourself. And he says you're going to receive power. That if you're really going to function in the body of Christ and you're going to function in the church, you have to receive power. Not of yourself. And that's where the church struggles today too. How much of what the church does, is it of the flesh or is it of the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's a hard line. That's a hard judgment call. But the church has to look at itself and really ask, did God do this? Did God do this? Did God open that door? Did God make this possible? Is God involved in this? Or is it just the flesh and its desire to perform and to do? To receive the praises of men? Or is it really for the glory of the Lord? The church has to ask itself that constantly. 
Are we involved in this? Are we doing this? That the name of Jesus is going to be glorified? Are we doing this because Jesus has commanded us to do this in the area of helping an individual or helping a group of people or helping in this part of society or doing this over here? But when it's done, it cannot be done of the flesh. It has to be done in the power of the Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Catch the order in which the Holy Spirit puts that. He doesn't say you'll be witnesses before you receive power. He puts it in an order in a sense that you receive the power in order to be the witness. He puts it in the exact order in which it has to flow. You have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be my witness. And if you're not powered by the Holy Spirit, you really can't be my witness. That's not saying your mouth isn't opening, that you're not trying to tell somebody, but it's not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone don't know it. Well, a few of us really do know it. That the greatest organization existing is the church. A lot of people don't know that. But the greatest organization is the church. Now, if there's one messed up organization, it's the church. (laughs) And we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's the church that is messed up. But understand something about the church. When a company looks for a person to manage or to do or to be in a certain area of their company, guess what they look for? The very best. (laughs) They want the top of the shelf. They want to get the best employee that they can get. But boy, when it comes to the church, <laughs> my dad used to tell me, why do the Christian always talking about God saving somebody out of the gutter? Can't God save some of these that aren't in the gutter? But God takes that low and he raises it he raises it up. He takes the man or the woman who is broken and heals them and puts them together and uses them. He takes that person who feels, boy, they have no use. They're not important to anybody. And he gives them value. And he uses them. God takes the least of us and makes us the greatest. It's amazing what he does. I would have never thought that I would have been a pastor. My thing was to be an excellent heating, air conditioner, own my own business, be retired by now. And the whole thing is simply this God takes the least. And he makes it great. 
And sometimes that's the mess that's in the church sometimes. And sometimes church folks don't understand because we gauge people by people. We want the very what? Very best. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because, see, we can pick out certain denominations when you study its historical background. They went after the very best. And if you understand holiness churches, holiness churches came into existence based on the very fact that they were not wanted in the other churches because they couldn't read or they didn't have any education. But they could go in and shake a floor. They could go in and make all kind of noise. And so your whole thing of your holiness church basically came into existence from the whole process that here's a group of people who were not accepted in what was called the upper churches or the churches who wanted the top shelf folks. The church is the most important organization that exists. And again, many people don't recognize that. And the sad part about it, many who call themselves Christians do not recognize it. You hear these remarks sometimes. You may have heard them. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. There's only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. And if you believe upon that name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. But you're one of those wood, hay, and stubble. You're one of those who are just saved by fire. And the reality of your salvation is this. You are not in a very deep relationship with the Lord. You love him, but you don't love him. How many of you pray, Lord, help me to love you past myself? Help me, Lord, to love you past myself. And Lord, get my earthly love out of the way and give me an agape love to love you with. Give me your love to love you. Because your fleshly love will only do one thing, bring God down. But when you love God with a divine love, with an agape love, you're ready to lift him up. You're ready to really glorify him. And we need to pray and get out of our fleshly love with God and into a divine love that God gives us for him. Because our fleshly love will only rise so high And then you wonder why Christians fall in and out. 
is because they're in that fleshly love realm. They love God as long as he's a good God. They love God as long as he's answering prayer. They love God as long as he takes care of all the crises and problems in his life. But you let something happen and they'll walk away from him just as quick. Now understand this principle. We may walk away from God. God never walks away from us. We may walk away from God. But he never walks away from us. He never does it. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, when you make that statement, what you're telling me, you're really not functioning as a Christian. When you're not going to church, there's no way you can be functioning as a Christian. Because you're not really functioning in the body of Christ. You're not functioning in a group or in a number that's trying to produce and do something for the glory of Christ. I don't want to go to church. Then you need to explore why you don't want to go to church. Now understand, every Sunday when I wake up, it's not a thing that I just want to get here to Akron Lions Fellowship. But I'm glad to say the majority of the time, I can't wait to get here. But there are days that I wish all I had to do is hit the recorder and y'all sit down and watch the recording. There are days I don't feel like being here. Either the back is weak, the knees are weak, or just tired. There are those days. But that shows me my fleshliness. But when I get here and get going, it is surprising to me what God then does. I don't want to go to church. You hear people, huh? Especially kids. But kids, when they're saying that, are usually taking sides. You got one parent going, one parent not going. Or you got a parent who is not consistent in going. And the child grows to a point they don't want to go. Because they think they've outgrown the church, don't need the church. The church is boring. So who needs it? The church isn't doing anything. And let me share something. We have grown up in a society and a culture of entitlement, of gimme, 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 that we as Christians have that same attitude. That we're entitled to this. Gimme this. Gimme that. Make this thing where it's accessible to me in the sense that when I come, boy, everything is there that I want. No, if you understand that you are a servant, you come with a servant heart and a mind to serve, not to get. The only thing you get and the only thing you may receive is the building up for your next task. 
The words of encouragement while you're going through a task. It's that whole process that God wants to talk to you. And even in the midst of a crowd of people, He can somehow set you apart and it's just you and Him. But we have a mentality that I have a right that if I go to the church, I can get this. I can get that. I can get this over here. And it's more about me than it is about him. How many of you grew up in church when you only had one room? See, Allen Chapel, where I went to, is one room. We had four Sunday school classes going on in that class. We had one Sunday school class on the left-hand side of the church, another one towards the back on the left-hand side. The children met on the right-hand side with Granddaddy Corbett. We met up there. Then the teenagers met in the back. And everybody talking. But we're in that one room. Using one room? That's right. There's nothing wrong with a one room. Pardon? In front of a store. Yeah. And, and, and see, maybe we've made church too comfortable. Maybe we need to really visit Africa and sit on some logs. And maybe we need to have some 115 degree days. See? Maybe we need to be swatting the mosquitoes and the flies. Maybe we need that. Because we have come into this easy, comfortable Christianity stuff. And it's not about God being God and me being obedient. It's about when I have the time and when it's convenient for me to serve him. I don't want to go to church. The church isn't doing anything spiritual for my life. Well, when you get busy for the Lord, you'll see how much you'll grow. When you get busy doing things for the Lord, then growth will take place. But as long as you're sitting there saying, oh, yeah, ain't nothing happening for me. Oh, nothing's, n- nothing's changing my life. No. Get involved and see what God does. Just go clean the bathroom. See what God does. Go into the trash. See what conversation you might have between the time you pick the trash up and get it to the dumpster. Just talk to some toddler or, or just embrace some child. And see what God does. Today nobody wants to teach children. But everybody wants their children to have something to do when they come to church. Boy, just think. If we put a nice swimming pool back here. And we give you an umbrella as a lifeguard to sit under. We might have that swimming pool full. And see, just think. And I'm thankful for our praise team. 
And I'm thankful for how our ladies dress. I'm thankful that they don't steal the attraction that belongs to God. Because I've been in churches where when the women get up, the men can't wait to see them walk. And don't let them have to go up the step. You know how sometimes have to go up the step, you pull it up just a little bit and you got to twist sideways. You know? And it just drives all the attention from God. You know? And I praise God that our women dress decently and in order. It's a testimony to God in their life and what God's doing. Then you hear people say, I have a hard time seeing the point of going to church. If iron sharpens iron, where's the best place to be? At the blacksmith. Because what is he doing? He's pounding it, he's shaping it, putting it back in the fire. When you come to church, don't come to church thinking that, boy, everything's going to be nice, because sometimes you're going to be put in the fire. It's the fire that purifies you. It's the fire that allows you to be molded and reshaped. It's the fire that sharpens you. And there's nothing wrong with being stuck into the fire sometimes, but people say, I have a hard time seeing the point of going to church. Because you're doing nothing. And the sad part about that doing nothing, you'll be the first to say in the church, well, the church is doing nothing. The question is, what are you doing? Well, see, if you would do something, then something would be going on in the church if you would do something. But you're saying the church does nothing. You're right. What are you doing? Richard Harbison, former chaplain of the United States Senate, made this statement. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Has the church moved from there? Because, see, down through the ages, the church has taken different faces. The centrality of the church has shifted at times down through history. The church should always be a point where God's people gather for fellowship with Jesus Christ being the center focus, nothing else. But he goes on, he says, then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. So even in our universities today, guess what? If you're not at a Christian university or Christian college, they have to have in their library Bibles and different writings of Christians because it's called philosophy. They have to have it in order to fulfill the requirement of being a university or a college. Those biblical writings down there but it's in the philosophy area. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. 
a government institution, a state institution. But the church became an institution. And next, it moved to Europe, where it became cultural sensitive. It became part of the culture. And maybe that's what happened to England. Maybe that's what happened to Germany. That the church became so much of the culture, when the culture changed, guess what got left behind? The church. Because it was just part of the culture, but it wasn't part of the people, per se. Understand what I'm just saying there? Oh, yes, it's out here in society, but it's not in my heart. Yeah, it's in my community, but it's not in my heart. So the church can be in the community, the church can be in the culture, the church can be in the society, but it's not where? In the heart. And then he said, it finally moved to America where it became an enterprise. When I was over in South Korea, the pastors there tickled me. They said, why do the church in America say they want to get the name of Jesus out? They want to get the name of Jesus into every home. They want to get the name of Jesus into every family. But then it says, the very first page you open, copyright laws. You want to say something, but then you muzzle the mouth of the one who's going to carry it. Because now they can't carry the message or they can't copy it and give it to somebody else. It's that we don't understand that. Why in America is there so many copyright laws when it comes to the church? And you were, you're saying you want to get the gospel out. But then on the other hand, they said you got your hand out. And you won't get the gospel out unless you receive something in the hand. And when they asked us that question, we were all sitting just talking and sharing. But when that question came out, and they said, we don't understand. Too many American, and the only thing they could explain it was this. You go hit this little ball, and then you walk two miles to get it to hit it again. What game is that? <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know how much money you spend doing that and what it could do on the mission field? Different outlook. A different rationale. And let me close out with this, and then we'll pick up next week. An enterprise, what is it? It's a business venture. And the church has a business part to it. America has made very clear that the church, in some ways, will function like a business. And one of the things, I don't care where you're at, you're beginning to hear more and more of it. As we see young people graduate from seminaries and from Bible college, the thing that is lacking in their skills, unless they had it prior to going to school, is a business sense. Knowing how to manage a business. Because the church is spiritual, and yet the church is also business. And those two things have to be handled. 
and what we'll talk about when we get to the word bishop, is that the word bishop really means management. And the bishop in the Roman time was somebody that the emperor or the government would put over a section or an area. And he would watch over that area but report back to the emperor or the one who placed him there. And the bishop was someone who managed something for somebody else who had given him authority, but he also had to report back to that authority. Is willing to undertake new and risky projects. One of the things that the church has done that caused a lot of people to hear away is that we mouth about God, but we don't live God. We talk about how great our God is, how big our God is. And people wonder, why aren't you doing something great? Why aren't you doing something? What, if this God is all this. See, people who have been here at Aquin Lions for a while know this. These doors would not be open without Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. One day we took our last two or three hundred dollars. Mr. Calhoun was treasurer at that time. And we helped the family. At that point, the brother Calhoun said, Pastor, we don't know how we're going to pay you. Well, we'll trust the Lord. And many people believe, because at that time we didn't take a collection. Brother B, you remember the box that used to hang on the wall? That's all we had was a box. And when you came in, it was your responsibility to put your tithe in or whatever your offering was. There was no passing of the plate. And Somebody went by there, and we think it was an angel. So that was the first time we ever saw the person. <laughs> Never seen them again. But they dropped the number of $100 bills in that box that met the needs of this church that time. And God has done wonderful things here at Aquinland that only he himself could have done. That's why I said, you want to be able to see. You want to be able to what? Hear. And you want to be able to receive if you're here in God's house. And we're taking risks on projects. It was a risk for a small number of people to say, let's build this. That was a risk. Because we were not that big. Only thing we knew, we were packing out that little room up front. And people would get a little angry because they'd be sweating away out there in the hallway trying to listen. And finally we said, let's build, even if we 
lose it all. Let's build. See what God will do. We've done it, and God has sustained us. Not saying it hadn't been some rough years, but God has sustained us. And you see what God is doing. Now, there are some projects in the work now. I can't really mention them, but boy, we need a lot of prayer. Because we're trying to discern what God's will is and the steps that need to be taken. Now, but there are amazing things that we look at ourselves and we say, we could never have done it or even brought us to this place. That's something God is doing. But we are willing to take the risk on projects and actively participate in the project to see what God's going to do. And last, create it in Christ Jesus to do the work. Go with me to Ephesians 2.10 and then we'll close out and pick up next, next week. And we'll pick up, why should the Christian care about the church? Ephesians 2.10. How many of you realize God is molding and shaping you for work? He's not molding and shaping you to come to church and just find a comfortable pad. The most some of you do in church, you do this. People say, well, go ask people if they'll do this or do that. See, I was raised in a church after we really accepted the Lord, that you go to the pastor and you say, Pastor, I feel the Lord is leading me to do this. I think the Lord wants me to be on the trustees because I'm a carpenter and I can help around the church. Or I think the Lord would have me do this or do that. And I never heard Pastor Valentine or the elder group say no to any of it. When Ann came to me and said, Pastor, I think the Lord is leading me into a ministry of prayer with other women. And I listened to it. I said, Ann, go after it. Go after it. That's your heartbeat right now. Go after it. You know. And then she's getting calls from other people about people who need prayer. And the prayer chain goes and we're praying. We don't know what all effects that's going to have. But it's having an effect because the prayers of the righteous... A bill of much. Hey. But in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's workmanship. We are what first? He's working in us. He's molding and shaping us. He's preparing us. In the church, we come to be prepared. We come to be made ready for a task. We come to be equipped. In the church. We come to be sharpened. In the church. We come to learn. For that when we're learning. We're able to share it with people. Outside the church. And he says. You're my workmanship. Created. If any man be in Christ. He is a what? He's a new creature. 
If you're in Christ, there's something different about you. And the question has to prevail over us in this. Is the church still a transformation? Is the church still causing the lives of people to be changed? Because all statistics are saying today that church folks live just like the world. And if you ever want to see it, see it in how we dress. We dress just like the world. And a lot of our action, if you really watch it, is just like the world. And where's the difference at? What makes it know that, boy, you know, I got to go back to these old folks. Them old holiness folks, you knew it by looking at them. Because they didn't put no hot comb in their hair. They just combed it. And like my Uncle Shelton would say when he saw my sister for the first time around 15, 16, with her lipstick on, and we're going up to the house, and Uncle Shelton stood up and said, You old Jezebel, don't come up here with that. Now you know what Jezebel means, but we gave the names to it. <laughs> and the whole process is that the church oftentimes is just like the world. And I remember one gentleman, because I challenged him about how he dressed and what he wore. And he told me, well, I'm witnessing to the world. It opens doors that I can talk to. Man, you're looking just like them. Johnny Youngblood over in Philadelphia is in a seminar. And Johnny, uh, the pastor there in Philadelphia. But Johnny will cuss you from one end to the other. And Johnny said, when you're around my church... That's all we know. That's our English. That's our vocabulary. And he said, if I want people to understand about Jesus, I got to throw some of them words in there. So he had no problem calling a woman a bee or, or, or this or that. <laughs> now, I have a problem with that. <laughs> but for him, he called this his everyday language in talking to the people that he was around. See, God says we're in the world, but we're what? Yes. There ought to be something different about us. Something different. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about the maturity of the church. But he says, you're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And here's the purpose. To do good works. Now, he doesn't list the works, but he says good works. He describes the works. He puts an adjective to the works, but he doesn't use any nouns in explaining what the work is. He says to do good works. I couldn't even begin to imagine how long that list might be if he would have named them all. To do good works. Which God, now, now, now listen, 
that God prepared in advance for us to do. The work is already what? It's already out there. Who has to be prepared for it? (laughs) We do. The work is already there, but we have to be prepared. Are you being prepared for work, or are you in a work? And sometimes it can be both ways. You can be being prepared in one place for another task that God has you somewhere else. Just called on-the-job training. That you are now being prepared for something else. But we'll pick up next week on why I should go to church. Why I should love the church. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, you prepared this place for us. And, Lord, help us when we break down Eve as a type of the church that we might have a mind to understand Eve in that area of being 